My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a boxer. That was it for me as a kid. Didn't want to be an actor, nor an astronaut. I didn't even want to be a footballer like the rest of my mates. It was always boxing. It was an obvious career choice from a kid from North London, from an estate. It was tough. It was not an easy life. I didn't do particularly well at school. I had a dream. I had a dream to become a boxer. And that was for one reason, because of this man. Gonna rip his heart out. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Fights are of his generation, for his generation. I'm the best, you know what I mean? I sometimes I don't want to believe in myself, but it's the truth. Every young black guy wanted to be Mike Tyson. You've had white guys wanted to be Mike Tyson. Lynx is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. A fighter who his career. How dare them even challenge me in these fighters with their primitive boxing skills? You know what I mean? They're as good as dead. I don't think there was a more electrifying or exciting heavyweight whoever lived. I'm Sonny Liston, I'm Jack Dempsey, there's no one like me, I'm from Nairclaw, there's no one that can match me. I said, there's no way he's going to win, I was telling my train, I said, he's going to lose tonight. Bangs the fight, wow, that up and got his Tyson, catches him with a leg, left foot, and he goes down, it's over, it's over, Mike Tyson has returned. Tyson was a schizophrenic, he was two people. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart, I want to eat his children. The undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world, Iron Mike Tyson. I'm former European super bantamweight champion, Spencer Oliver. And over the next hour on Talk Sport, I'm going to shine some light on the extraordinary life of a guy that was once known as the baddest man on the planet in our special program, The Boy from Brownsville. The story of Iron Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was born in Cumberland Hospital, Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York, on the 30th of June, 1966. 
There must have been something special in the water in Brooklyn with sporting greats Michael Jordan, Albert King, plus award-winning filmmaker Spike Lee, all born in the same hospital. The person listed as the father on Mike's birth certificate was a man called Purcell Tyson, a Jamaican cab driver who shared a short marriage with Tyson's mother, Lorna Mae Smith. Mike never met Purcell. Instead, the man he knew as his father was Jimmy Kirkpatrick, or Curly, as they knew him on the streets. I just took it they say he's my father and hey dad. He died in 92. I did get to know him later and start asking him questions and stuff. And not questions I really wanted to know and answers. I didn't really want answers and stuff. It was pretty grim stuff. He was a pretty dark that guy and stuff. The youngest of three children, Mike often found himself in trouble with the law. Can you believe he tried cocaine at the age of 11? And by the time he was 13, he'd been arrested 38 times. Mike's early life was a struggle. It was never going to be easy. Let's hear from former cruiserweight world champion Johnny Nelson. The things he's experienced, we'd only read in a book or see on a film. There's a story that he tells that his mum was a prostitute from Long and Long. And, and he can remember being in bed, waking up, and she had a client next to him in bed. Can you imagine how that scars you? How it makes you mentally and emotionally void of, of any kind of empathy? and head of Queensbury Promotions, Frank Warren. Dreadful upbringing. We all get our stories of when we were kids. And, you know, sensible people and sane people try and break that chain. And the one thing about Mike Tyson is he's not a dummy. He's smart, but he always plays the victim. Mike was a product of his environment, Brownsville, a neighbourhood in eastern Brooklyn, and to this day holds one of the highest poverty and crime rates in New York. Here's American boxing journalist Dan Raphael. The reputation is one of the toughest, most difficult neighborhoods in one of the toughest, most difficult cities to grow up in the country of the United States, New York City. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson did not grow up in great circumstances. A lot of gangs, a lot of violence, a lot of crime, a lot of drugs. But one thing gave him an escape, his love for pigeons. His legendary boxing writer, Colin Hart. I was uh, introduced to Tyson by his manager, Jim Jacobs. And Tyson started to tell me about the time he beat up a young kid who had killed one of his pet pigeons. He'd actually wrung his neck and Tyson found out who he was and went to sort him out. It was a thing, don't forget, in the... Uh, ghettos of New York, particularly um, amongst the black community that they kept pigeons on the rooftops. With Mike now surrounded by drink and drugs, things were deteriorating. A newfound passion for street fighting was only fueled by others in the neighbourhood who mocked Mike for his high-pitched voice and speech impediment. After countless run-ins with the law, he was sent to the Tryon School for Boys, where he met Bobby Stewart, a juvenile detention centre counsellor and former boxer. I went to his room one night and I banged on his door to intimidate him. I said, so you want to meet me? What, what the hell do you want? He said, I want to be a fighter. I said, so do the rest of these other guys, all the rest of these other guys. They haven't got the to, to work to be a fighter. I met a guy that used to be a fighter, professional fighter. He started teaching me how to fight. He kicked the 
All right, me at first. Um, I must have hit him with a jab. I, I broke his nose. He had the black eye. And he was mad once. I thought he was mad, but he was mad because his wife don't, didn't like him having the broken nose and stuff. He said, listen, I'm not going to be able to box with you no more, but I'm going to take you to this other guy that's going to take you to the to the next level. And there I met Custom Iron. <laughs> No, I'd go from rags to riches. Customato, an Italian-American boxing trainer from the Bronx. Cus opened up his first boxing gym at the age of 22 after a short amateur career. He lived in the gym for years. Cus had a different approach to most. He was a deep thinker, a philosopher. Fear is something which has to be controlled. I always compare it to fire. Fear, like fire, must be controlled. And once it gets out of control, like fire, it can destroy everything around. Not only the individual, everything around. But once you control fear, like fire, you can make it work for you. Without fire, we wouldn't have the civilization we now recognize. The fighter who controls the fear can now function in a manner far over and beyond anything he was capable of before. Fear is your friend. Cuss was born in 1908, and Cuss believe in that he cared for the downtrodden people and this and that for the blacks and Latinos. And he wanted to be a person that people looked up to and he was the boss and stuff. He was, yes, wanted to be a person. He was successful his whole life. He was always the guy in the neighborhood that people came through to settle beefs and talk things over with and loan people stuff and help people out. And he liked being in that position of being able to teach people something, what he believed was teaching them something. After moving to Catskill, where he opened up the Catskill Boxing Club, it quickly became apparent that Cuss had another future world champion on his hands. Mike Tyson, weighing 210 pounds, has an exceptionally good record. Tyson not only has a very hard, terrific punch in either hand, but he has developed elusive qualities and has the most important quality, the will to win. I can't see him lose. Cuss proved to be the father figure that Tyson never had. And in 1982, when Tyson's mother died, he became just that. Dan Raphael recalls. He did take him under his wing as a boxing trainer, but he brought him into his home. He did become his adoptive father. He was his family. And Tyson was on his way to the top. Like me, Cussie's life was boxing. So much so that he and his wife Camille moved into a 14-room mansion big enough to accommodate 12 of the most aspiring trainees in his stable. And of course, Tyson was one of them. Mike was flourishing under the guidance of Cuss. He had a, maybe a dozen fights in the Junior Olympic Championship, and he knocked out every fighter he fought to win the national championship twice. With the help of trainer Teddy Atlas, Tyson was cutting through the amateurs like a hot knife through butter. Atlas helped Tyson to achieve two Junior Olympic gold medals, but their relationship was to be short-lived. Dan Raphael. Teddy was really the hands-on guy in the camp, but Teddy Atlas is not a person that's going to take any grief from anybody. And so when it came to his knowledge that Tyson had you know, made perhaps uh, approaches to his sister that were inappropriate, and Teddy found out about it, he did not take it lightly, and he put a gun to Mike Tyson's head. That was pretty much what became the fracture between Teddy Atlas and um, Mike Tyson. And, and you know, obviously, Customato chose to keep Tyson around, and then uh, Teddy Atlas went on his way. It was claimed that Cuss had offered Teddy Atlas 5% of Tyson's career earnings in a bid to keep the allegations under wraps. However, 
Atlas felt betrayed by the fact that Mike was allowed back in the gym. And that was the end of Teddy Atlas at the Caskill Boxing Club. Do you think that he would ever, ever come in my face and say that he's the tough guy, man to man to me? He pulled a gun and he didn't even shoot me. Right. So that tells you how tough he is. He pulled a gun on me and didn't even shoot me. If I pulled one on him, God knows, them bullets are not going in the air. On the 6th of March, 1985, Tyson, now trained by Kevin Rooney, made his pro debut against Hector Mercedes. It didn't last long. One minute, 48 seconds to be exact. I feel I was born to fight because I have no other interest in anything else. On the 4th of November, 1985, Tyson's mentor and adopted father, Customato, died at the age of 77 of pneumonia at the Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. When he died, it took away one of the main people in his life that sort of kept Tyson on the straight and narrow. And there were still others in his life at that time. He had his managers, Bill Caden. He had his other co-manager, Jim Jacobs, you know, who did their best to sort of keep Mike under control. But Cuss was really that guiding force. And once he was gone, uh, that was a huge influence on Tyson that was no longer there. He's Lennox Lewis's former manager, Kelly Maloney. Gastamata died, who was like his father figure, wasn't he? And then he went through a session of different trainers as well, who didn't sort of have the same relationship or treatment. And he, his life was very unstable. I think when he was with Gastamato, he had a stable life and they had a sort of plan for him. When there was no one there to guide him and, and, and protect him, he was like a, a wild beast, wasn't he? There's no doubt a star was born, destined for greatness. But without his mentor, the path that he would lead remained to be seen. Welcome back to The Boy From Brownsville, the Mike Tyson story on TalkSport with me, Spencer Oliver. In just one year and eight months, can you believe Mike Tyson had been in the ring 26 times? Only two of those opponents saw it to the end of the fight, with 15 ending in the first round. There is a solid shot, a third round knockout for Mike Tyson. He's going to take a point. He's disqualified. He's disqualified Jesse Ferguson. I feel so confident, and I knew deep down in my blood that I was going to stop him in the first round. Sharp right uppercut to the body by Tyson. Again, a double right hand to the body and the chin. Down goes Lorenzo Boy. Oh, what a shot. And Rebalta's down. I use the fear to reflect it on my opponent because fear I use as my friend. It's my friend. If I don't have it, I don't fight. November the 22nd, 1986. Mike had fought himself into a world title fight at the tender age of 20. In your mind, if your managers Jim Jacobs and Bill Caton and your trainer Kevin Rooney came to you and said, Mike, we think you're ready for a title shot tomorrow. Do you, would you agree with them at this point? Most definitely. Anytime if my manager and my trainer feel that I'm confident and they're willing to put me in a title and they're sure I could beat the champion, I'm sure I could beat them also. He would face Trevor Burbick in Las Vegas for the WBC World Heavyweight Crown, a fight billed as Judgment Day. This is the main event of the night. 12 rounds of boxing for the WBC Championship of the World. At age 20 years, 4 months, and 22 days, Mike Tyson could, with this win, become the youngest heavyweight champion ever. The holder of that record? Well, it was a guy that Customato once trained, Floyd Patterson. 
I actually remember me and my brother getting up to listen to Tyson fight for the world heavyweight title against Trevor Burbeck. I remember my dad waking us up at like silly o'clock, four or five o'clock in the morning, and we were sitting there, and I remember that first bell going. I remember the ring walks, actually. This will be the WBC heavyweight championship of the world. And look at young Mike Tyson, age 20 years old. You could hear the noise of the crowd and the commentators talking, and it was like... All of a sudden, you were sitting there on the edge of your seat and there hadn't been a punch thrown yet. There was a real excitement about it. And when I remember the first bell going, how crazy is this? I can remember, I'm talking back when I was like an 11-year-old kid, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. That's how powerful Mike Tyson was. And I remember sitting on the edge of the chair and that first bell going and all of a sudden Tyson coming out and doing what he does best, keeping those hands up high, rolling the shots, and then all of a sudden, boom! He's thrown a big left hook, boom, he's thrown a big right hand. And it's got you, it's drawn you to the edge of your seat. I remember looking at my brother in this sheer excitement, like this guy is like, who is this guy? He's like, he's like a Superman, he's like a, a fictional character, but he's real. You're listening to the radio and you can hear the shots slamming in, you can hear the noise of the crowd and the commentators. So you're sitting on the edge of your seat and all of a sudden Tyson throws a big left hook right hand and Burbick's wobbling all over the place. Puts him with the left hand. Look at this. Combination. And Burbick ready to go, but he stays on his feet. Another right hand puts him. He can't take shots like this very long. Wow, and the right hand is Mike. Again, he's won. Catches him with a foot. Trevor's ready to go again. His legs have gone, and the bell saves him. They go back to the corners. You can hear the noise of the crowd. And when you're listening to it on the radio, there's something really spectacular about that. There's something. There's a real excitement about it because you can hear the hype of the of the commentators' voices. You can hear the noise of the crowd. You can hear the corner men talking in the corner, and the bell goes for the second round. Mike Tyson comes out again. Similar thing. Hands held high. Peekaboo style. Rolling his head. All that stuff that Castamato taught him as a young kid in the gyms. You could hear it coming to light. And again, throws the big left hook. This time, Trevor Burbick goes down, and this time he tries to get up. Bangs the body. Wow, that uppercut is Tyson. Catches him with a leg left hook, and he goes down. He goes down. He should be able to get up from this. His legs may be shut. They are. As Trevor Burbick falls back in the rope, I don't know if he's going to be able to continue. He's got the heart, but his body won't let him do what his mind wants to. He's falling all over the place. He's stumbling around like a baby giraffe trying to walk. It was just incredible. It was one of the most powerful moments I think I've ever had in boxing. That's what got me totally hooked on the sport of boxing, was listening to Mike Tyson win that world heavyweight title, sitting there looking with my brother. My brother's jumping up and down in his seat. He's got his fist clenched. He's jumping out of his seat. He's shadow boxing. It's five o'clock in the morning. We're two young kids. And just like that, Tyson had made history. He was the youngest heavyweight champion of all time. I was coming to destroy and win the heavyweight championship of the world, which I'd done. And I'd like to dedicate my fight to my great guardian, Customato. And I'm, I'm sure he's up there and he's looking and he's talking to all the great fighters and saying his boy did it. He's smiling, that's right. After Burbick, there was Pinkland Thomas. Thomas trying to hold on. Serious trouble. And down he goes. Larry Holmes tried his luck. A big right hand ends the career of the former champion of the world. Surely Michael Spinks would prove a greater challenge. I don't think you'll get up from this. Mike Spinks is laying flat on his back. The fighters were being lined up and Tyson was dropping them. 
Let's hear from former IBF World Cruiserweight champion Glenn McCrory, who was actually sparring Tyson at that time. I give Mike a, a black eye. He got a mark around his eyes, swollen up a little bit, and they didn't spar for a couple of days. And I'd done it. And so Mike Marley, who was the New York Post reporter, was there. Well, he made, obviously, you know, Mike Tyson, the skinny little Irish kids just beat up Mike Tyson. So it was, it was full page of the New York Post. It did great for me, except it was the only time that I had to do six rounds with Mike, which were the toughest six rounds of my life. Now Tyson had grabbed the world's attention. But one man in particular wanted a slice of the pie. Meet Don King. Get, get, get down. Donald King is a boxing promoter born in Cleveland, Ohio. I think boxing is the last vestige of the free enterprise system. Is it the only business in the world that I know that a guy totally uneducated can become a millionaire? <laughs> well, he had a colourful background, shall we say. After a short amateur boxing career, he fell into the dark underworld of crime and gambling. He was even charged with the killing of two men in separate incidents in 1954 and 1967. I made the time serve me. I had four years in incarceration in Marion Correctional Institution in Ohio. Manslaughter. I had a fist fight in the ghetto, you know, where others have many, many fights in the ghetto and nothing happens. I had a fight and the guy died. After being introduced to Muhammad Ali by a friend, Don found his way into boxing and made blockbusters such as The Rumble in the Jungle featuring Muhammad Ali and George Foreman and the thriller in Manila between Muhammad Ali and smoking Joe Fraser. After Muhammad Ali, there was George Foreman, Joe Fraser, Larry Holmes and in 1988... Don King signed, I am Mike Tyson. Here's Kelly Maloney, who worked closely with Don. Don King's tactic was to wear you down. I mean, I remember when we were doing the Evander Holyfield negotiations, we were in his office for nearly 15 hours, and he would just keep bringing food in, and Don King would go out of his office. I don't know how true it was, but I was always told there was mics in Don King's ceiling to be very careful. Under the new management of Don King... Mike Tyson found himself in against the South Londoner Frank Bruno, who was coming to the ring with a record of 34 fights, 32 wins, and only two defeats. Remember, a fighter cannot be saved by the bell as the big right hand lands. Tyson knows he's got him in big trouble. If he doesn't answer it, Richard Steele has moved in and has stopped the fight. Bruno lasted just five rounds. Let's hear from Colin Hart. I'll never forget Mickey Duff telling me that in the dressing room before they did the ring walk Bruno was laughing full of confidence and then somebody yelled you're on Frank and his whole mood changed and I counted as he walked from the dressing room into the ring and he actually crossed himself 13 times it suddenly dawned on him that he was going to have to face Tyson. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. By now, Mike was on top of the world, but a long way from Catskill. Tyson had departed from longtime trainer Kevin Rooney, and he started to make the headlines for all the wrong reasons. One of which being his model and actress girlfriend, Robin Gibbons. I noticed Tyson sitting with a fella in the coffee shop and we chatted and it was one of the most extraordinary interviews I ever had with him. He started talking about his love for Robin Givens and he said that Robin was driving him nuts because she wanted to get married and he said look I'm 21 I want to play the field he said I wasn't interested in getting married 
and he started talking about Robin and he was telling me what a terrible temper she had and how she used to hurt him. And I said, oh, come on, Mike. Who are you kidding? This girl who I'd met was 112 pounds a flyweight. I said, how can she possibly hurt you? And he looked at me with that wonderful lisp of his and said, because she kicks me in the balls. After dispatching Cole Williams in 93 seconds, Tyson was shipped over to Tokyo to fight James Buster Douglas in a fight that would be billed Tyson is back. And tonight, one James Buster Douglas is designated as the next victim of this fearsome fighting machine. It was seen as an exhibition, an expensive one, mind you. Japan reportedly paid $7 million to hold that event. Tyson simply couldn't lose. Douglas was made a 42 to 1 underdog. Tyson even described Buster Douglas as just another frozen tuna from the Tokyo fish market. Colin Hart. We went to see Douglas in his hotel room. He was uh, convinced that he was going to knock Tyson out in memory of his late mother, who had died 23 days before. When we left the room... We all burst out laughing. So, you know, this clown in there actually believes what he's telling us. From the opening bell, it became evident that Tyson was in for a hard night. Douglas had done his homework. He was landing the jab. Tyson got wobbled for the first time in the fifth round, and that's when the alarm bell started ringing. He come back quite well. I remember him flooring Douglas in the eighth round and Douglas was down and he looked like he was out and somehow he rose on nine. It could have even been nine and a half and the bell goes and saves him. One more punch and that fight was over. Douglas comes out for the ninth round, weathers the storm at the beginning and turns it around and starts laying into Tyson. And by now you recognise that Tyson hasn't got anything left. Tyson's on his way out. He barely makes it through the ninth round. He comes out at the tenth round and there's literally nothing left. Some big shots go in and Tyson goes over. And I remember him being on all fours. He was on all fours and... I remember this clearly, like Tyson was was walking like like a dog and he was trying to reach out to grab his gum shield and he kept missing the gum shield. Landing these, oh, nice uppercut by Buster Douglas. Look at this. He's knocked Mike Tyson down for the first time in his career. Mike Tyson hits the canvas. He's in big trouble. He may not be able to recover. It's up to seven and eight. He's not going to make it. I've got this picture in my head now of Tyson on all fours trying to grab the gum shield and his eye was swollen tight. It's like a photograph, a clear photograph in my head. Seeing Tyson, not knowing whether he was in Tokyo, Las Vegas or New York, trying desperately to put his gum shield back in his mouth with his glove fist. It was one of the most incredible sights I've ever seen in the ring. But we witnessed one of the 
greatest upsets, not only in the heavyweight division, in the whole of boxing. You're probably wondering if we are going to hear from Mike Tyson. We sent our Sugar Ray Leonard to follow Tyson to his dressing room to seek an interview with the former heavyweight champion, and Ray has been turned down. Tyson would have four quick comeback fights. Boxing Henry Tillman, an old amateur foe, who would beat Tyson and stop him going into the Olympics, and he would knock Tillman out in one round, followed by another first-round knockout of Alex Stewart. And then come those two memorable fights that he had with Donovan Razor Ruddock. The first one was a controversial seventh-round KO. Ruddock got his return and would take Tyson the distance. But by this time, I think the cracks were starting to appear. And in 1992, Mike Tyson was convicted of the rape of 18-year-old Desiree Washington. Would this be the end of a guy that had become the most famous man on the planet? Such a promising boxer and athlete. I guess only time would tell. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection. Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome back to The Boy From Brownsville, the Mike Tyson story on TalkSport with me, Spencer Oliver. Mike has just lost his title in that shock defeat to James Buster Douglas and has been convicted of the rape of 18-year-old Desiree Washington. Here's what they think about Here's what they think about Even though there was a change of champion this year in boxing, the biggest story by far did not take, take place, place in the, the ring. ring. It took place in a courthouse in downtown Indianapolis where the former heavyweight champion Mike Tyson lost the biggest fight of his life. He obviously had that situation where he was accused and I think that was the start of his sort of downfall as well, you know, because he was never the same after that. Tyson, before he got his jail sentence, was running wild. When we were doing business together, I smelt him out very quickly, What you know, what was going on and how he was. And he was very, very 
very manipulative. There's no doubt when like, Tyson went to prison for rape that it, it certainly cost him time in terms of what he could have done in his boxing career. Uh, Tyson maintained his innocence. Tyson was always a menacing character. He's been behind prison doors at the Indiana Youth Center now for something over nine months. He works in the prison recreation department and he's the manager of the prison basketball team. Among his duties, to wash the uniforms of the team players. Mike Tyson was sentenced to six years in prison. Despite being 25 years old at the time of the crime, he was sent to the Indiana Youth Center. During his time, Mike converted to Islam and picked up the Muslim name Malik Abdul Aziz. He was released in March 1995 after serving less than three years of his sentence. Dan Raphael recalls speaking to Mike about the incident. I can remember, uh, to paraphrase Tyson, saying, look, I definitely did stuff that should have put me in prison, and I was not appropriate with every woman I was ever with. Like, I did not rape that woman, but because of things I had done in it besides that situation, you know, I probably got what I deserved. Former boxing manager Kelly Maloney. When he came out of prison, there was an opportunity that we were asked for, we were interested in signing him because we obviously had Lennox Lewis at the time and um, our American lawyer told us about him and there was rumours of certain pictures of Mike Tyson floating about and they could be bought and then you would be able to control Mike Tyson. I think if he hadn't gone to prison, he'd stayed with his management. He would never have gone down the road he went down and he may have stayed um, that invincible character. Legendary boxing writer... Colin Hart. No one knows this for a fact, but I do believe that prison probably saved Tyson's life. I feared, and a lot of other people feared, that he would get into serious trouble, like being shot. And while he was in jail, he at least got himself together so that when he came out, he could return to the ring. Were Tyson's best days behind him? Well, Peter McNeely would find out first. I'm Hurricane Peter McNeely from Medfield, Mass. On Saturday night, watch me kick Tyson's ass. Tyson with a left hook, a right hook, and down goes McNeely again. McNeely's hurt this time, Steve. He's very hurt. He can barely stand up. The fight lasted 89 seconds. 1.52 million Americans brought the fight, setting a then record of $63 million pay-per-view purchases. After Tyson had brushed off Buster Mathis Jr., WBA heavyweight champ Frank Bruno for the second time, and Bruce Seldon upstepped a man dubbed The Real Deal. Oh, Shelby and Holyfield and a big left. There's a right by Holyfield that slips in. A great combination. He got three, four punches in there. Holyfield is looking to finish Parky off. Here's Dan Raphael. Mike Tyson and Vander Holyfield, they were supposed to fight several years earlier than when they did. They were really supposed to fight after Tyson was supposed to have beaten Buster Douglas. So there was a fight that everybody had wanted to see for a long time. So finally, when the fight happened, it was made at a moment in time when Vander Holyfield was thought by many people to be on the downside of his career and sort of going to be a big name, but sort of easy pickings for Tyson at that point. On November the 9th, 1996... Tyson would face Evander Holyfield in Vegas. Holyfield wasn't given much of a chance prior to the fight, but caused the shock in the 11th round when referee Mitch Halpin was forced to step in and stop the bout. Holyfield continues to bug it. A left hook to the head. He's got Tyson in trouble. Tyson's ready to go. A straight right hand. It's out 
taste in the mouths of the Tyson camp. They felt that Holyfield was intentionally throwing headbutts throughout the fight. I'm jabbing. Oh, oh. And then right there, I believe I've been headbutt. Did that cause the gash on your eye? I believe so. I'm not sure. We fast forward seven months and the two are at it again. It's the rematch. The sound and the fury in the MGM Grand Las Vegas. There was real bad blood going into this one. And after 32 seconds of round two, when Holyfield's head cut the right eye of Tyson, we knew he was in for fireworks, but no one could have guessed what was going to happen next. Tyson felt like he was being headbutted again, and you know the referee wasn't doing anything to protect him in that sense. Uh, you know he purposely bit his ear twice, got disqualified, and it was at the time it was like a, a ghastly situation. Worldwide headlines, people could not believe what they were seeing. Now here's the bite. Keep, keep your eye on Mike. See, Mike has just see. Look at him. You can see it. You can see it. There it is. I can't believe what I'm seeing, fellas. And look at this. He just reaches in and bites him. It's, it's over. It's over. During that replay, Bills Lane signaling that it's over. I think they've just about had enough. Tyson showing desperation and fighting Holyfield two times. More fighting in the ring after the end of the fight. Tyson's trying to get at Holyfield again, I believe. It is complete bedlam, and Tyson is just taking swipes at anybody in front of him. I, I'm beginning more and more to believe Tyson is a confused individual. He was like a pariah from society. He was suspended by the Nevada Commission. He had his license revoked. He was fined. What was at the time, I think it may even still be a record, $3 million of his purse for that. He had basically disgusted the American population by what happened. Here's the man himself, Evander Holyfield, talking about the incident. I was getting ready to bite the daylights out of him, and I was going to bite him in the face. When you're from the ghetto, they say, if you do something, you got to do it worse than what they did. This wasn't the mic we knew. The softly spoken, well-mannered, likeable, hard-working boxing historian. This wasn't the Catskill Mike. On the 29th of January 2000, Mike Tyson would make his UK debut, taking on Julius Francis at the MEN Arena in Manchester. Frank Warren recalls the excitement of the British fans. The first time he came out, I remember they didn't want him in the country. We had, a, we had a real job to get him in. There were questions asked in Parliament and, and they were trying to refuse to allow him in the country over his rape conviction. We, he got into the country after all the problems we had in Parliament. And the first time, I remember we, the police, as he landed, they wouldn't let him go out the back door. We wanted to take him out the back because of the crowds and everything. And they let him go through the front. It was like the Beatles had landed. They said they don't like him and they don't want him in yet, but why take his one million pound? If you don't like him, then don't take his money. But he's a convicted rapist. What? Here's Johnny Nelson. Oh, they lost their mind. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was like, at the time, you know, even though he wasn't his best, Mike Tyson was the most famous fighter in the world. Here's Tyson's opponent, Julius Francis. I don't actually remember being with Mania, but I remember when Michael Jackson came to London. Things went absolutely crazy. Colin Hart. His popularity in this country was unbelievable. It was like the Beatles in New York, if you like. Thousands turned up wherever Tyson appeared. And when he got to Manchester, outside the Midland Hotel, you would think that... Princess Diana was about to appear. The bout of Julius Francis would only last two rounds. 
people ask you, how hard did that punch actually feel like? And in some ways, you can't describe it because Tyson was different. By now, I had retired at the young age of 23, picking up an injury, defending my European title back in 1998. And I started a new career in the media, working for TV and radio. And this is where I would get up close and personal with Mike Tyson. I would travel up to Glasgow, where Tyson was boxing Lou Savarese at Hamden Park. I would spend a week with Tyson and we would see so many different sides to him. This wasn't the guy that I used to look at and admire as a young kid growing up. This was a different Tyson. Tyson had changed. Savarese going to get through this opening round. Oh, another big left. It's going to be stopped. It's going to be stopped. It's all over. Oh, and he still wants to attack him. And John Coyle is trying to stop the fight. And Tyson fights on. I don't think he understood it. I was sitting at ringside commentating with Steve Collins and a guy that I used to watch growing up, a guy that I used to admire, had just done this post-fight interview for TV and he was screaming and he was saying that he was going to eat Lennox's kids and going crazy and I could see that there was a real aggression about him. I was going to rip his heart out. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. There's no one can stop me. Lennox is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. Praise be to Allah. And as Tyson would leave the ring, he was angry, he was screaming, he was looking around, he was swearing. And I remember looking at Steve Collins and saying, don't look at him. The guy was ready to blow. And so me and Steve just looked at each other and as Tyson walked past, I'm talking about, he was literally two foot away. My head went down and I would normally have had the opportunity to jump up and shake his hand and say, Mike, well done, what a great performance, brilliant to have you over here. I never got that opportunity because Tyson was so angry. I couldn't take that chance. He told us that he was coming for Lennox, and that's exactly what he did. Welcome back to The Boy From Brownsville, the Mike Tyson story on TalkSport with me, Spencer Oliver. In 2002, Mike Tyson finally got his wish to challenge once more for the world heavyweight title against Lennox Lewis. We're at the Pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee, as Lewis Tyson is finally on. The fight that no one originally wanted has found a willing and able home here in Memphis. Among the notables who are here to watch this boxing match against celebrities from everywhere, Roy Jones Jr. still with lightning quick hands, Vince McMahon, Donald Trump, the ever-present Donald Trump. The two knew each other well. Tyson and Lewis had previously sparred at a Customato training camp. But of course, nothing was plain sailing when Tyson was involved. A press conference brawl threw the fight into disrepute when the Nevada State Commission refused to grant Tyson a license. At a press conference today, it was supposed to be officially announced that Mike Tyson would square off against Lennox Lewis as Tyson hopes to recapture boxing glory and the WBC heavyweight title. But in a shock to, well, absolutely no one, the fellows couldn't even wait until the April 6th date. The press conference canceled after the two fighters broke out in a brawl. You see what happened. They went after one another and then Tyson 
went after the crowd of reporters. You can't touch me, you're not man enough. Come and say my face, I'm ask for that. everybody. Come on, you you're scared coward. You can't last two minutes in my world. After other states followed suit, Memphis finally bid a reported $12 million to host a bout. And so we had it. Tyson, Lewis, Memphis, Tennessee. Lewis dominated the fight and knocked out Tyson in the eighth round with a big right hand. You can't take that from Tyson was never going to beat the count. Blood trickling from a cut that he'd picked up over his eye. It was quite a sad sight for me to see. This was the guy that got me into boxing. This was the guy that I loved, I admired. I wanted to be like as a kid. But this wasn't the Tyson that I knew. This wasn't that guy they called the baddest man on the planet. This was a guy that was a shell of his former self. And again, he was just splendid, a masterful boxer. I just take my hand off to you and he has pleaded, if you can do him, give me one more chance, I'd be greatly appreciative. Tyson would go on to have just three more fights. After bouncing back to a first round knockout of Clifford Etienne, Tyson slumped to a sad fourth round defeat to someone I knew very well, the Brixton bomber, London's Danny Williams. This was such a sad state of affairs. The man that was once known as the most powerful man on the planet, the baddest man on the planet, and now even his adopted home of Las Vegas didn't even want him. Here's Frank Warren. I put Danny in, and I said to Danny at the time, I said, I'm telling you now, Dan, you can beat this fella. And I said to him, what are you going to have? You're going to have a round, maybe two rounds maximum, of vintage Mike Tyson. He'll come out, he'll throw everything at you. If you can withstand the storm, you'll stop him. It's exactly what Danny did, fought to plan and stopped him. Colin Hart. Tyson's career should have been far greater than it was because of his lifestyle, because of his behaviour, because of the drugs and the booze. He deteriorated as a young man. And so... Those years he spent in jail could have been the best years of his fighting life. Kelly Maloney. He just became a commodity for people to make money out of. The TV company, the promoters, the people at the hangers-on. He reminds me of a way of uh, the tragics of Joe Louis, who was another great champion in his era, but again was a, a victim of his own success and again was used by everybody. Why does my heart on the 11th of June 2005, Mike Tyson entered the ring for the last time. He'd faced Kevin McBride in Washington, D.C. He vowed to gut McBride like a fish. It didn't hold the same threat that a Mike Tyson threat once did. The first bell would come and it'd become apparent straight away that Tyson was labouring. His best days had clearly gone. As the fight was wearing on, McBride was doing well, working behind the jab and keeping Tyson at bay. Tyson couldn't slip, roll, that peekaboo style that he once learned from Customato, that wasn't there anymore. He wasn't seeing the shots, he was getting caught with the jabs, he was looking frustrated, he was looking tired. This was a guy once known as the baddest man on the planet. Well, he looked a million miles away from that. As that fight wore on, Tyson was looking more tired and you could see that he was looking for a way out. He got into an exchange with McBride, he grabbed McBride's arm, and he even tried to break McBride's arm. He tried headbutting McBride, he tried everything. 
And as the fight wore on, Tyson clearly had nothing left and he would quit on his stall. After the end of the sixth round, he never come out for the seventh. I don't think I have it anymore because um, I got the ability to stay in shape, but I don't got the fighting guts, I don't think, anymore. When did you recognize that? At what part of the fight? I don't know. Early into the fight. I'm just sorry I let everybody down. I, mean, I just don't have this in my heart anymore. And we thought that would be the end of Mike Tyson. Now, some 15 years later, we're seeing Tyson back in the ring again. So here's Tyson's opponent for his comeback fight on Saturday night. The legendary former four-weight world champion, Roy Jones Jr. We're two of the biggest entertainers to ever touch the boxing ring. So when you got Roy Jones and Mike Tyson, you got a night full of you don't know what might show up. Everything, anything can happen, anything might happen. You beat Holyfield's ear off. I knock the guy with my hand behind my back. We do all types of dynamic things when you get to a boxing ring. We'll see what happens. Who would have thought that boy from Brownsville would achieve everything he did? I and so many others in and out of the sport want to thank you, Mike. I'm Conor Ben, the WBA Continental Worldweight Champion. What does Mike Tyson mean to me? I mean, he's um, he's an unbelievable fighter. One of the greatest to ever lace a pair of gloves. Most ferocious man on the planet. My name is Tony Bell, you former WBC Cruiserweight Champion of the World. The impact that Mike Tyson had on the sport for me was just unbelievable. He was the first fighter I got out of the bed for at like 3, 4 a.m. in the morning when he was boxing. I am Carl Frotch, former super middleweight champion of the world. Mike Tyson for me was the ultimate fighting machine the best fighter of all time. I'm Josh Warrington, IBF featherweight world champion. And what does Mike Tyson mean to me? I much admired his work ethic. And over the years, I've tried to take a lesson from that. No fighter in history or even in this generation matches that intensity that he brought. If you ask people, they one boxer, they're probably gonna say, Mike Tyson. Carl Frampton here. And when I think of Mike Tyson, I think of brute force, tenacity, Aggression, par. Hi, this is Duke McKenzie, former three division world champion. Tyson, for me, represented the true undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. I'm George Groves, the former WBA super middleweight champion of the world. And what Mike Tyson means to me, well, he's the baddest man on the planet. That's it, baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson. Boxing's a real roller coaster. So many ups, so many downs as well. Thank you, Mike. We shared this roller coaster together. Boxing will always be in debt. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed 
and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.